Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, I don't want you guys to get like the illusion that we are perfect because we are definitely uh, not I've heard perfect. this before. I've heard this before from one of your current apostles. What is his name? James. Oh, yeah. Richard yeah. James. Richard James. James. Yeah. yeah. He said this to me at Sunstone. He said, oh, I don't want you to get the idea that we're perfect. I said, I don't think you're perfect. And I think the fact that you're honest about saying we're not perfect makes me respect you more, frankly. Well, and so I want to give you an example. So, for instance, using common consent, we try mm-hmm. to bring the the big topics that we think are you know appropriate for the church to work on together. And mission centers bring resolutions to our world conference as well. So leadership doesn't totally control the agenda. You know, the body can also bring resolutions to world conference. But if you were to talk to some of our members, we make a lot of decisions. You know, we have to to keep the church moving mm-hmm. along. And sometimes we make decisions that people are like, whoa, you know, you didn't ask our opinion on that. And why didn't you? So I just want to name in case any community of Christ person comes along, you know, and here's this interview that I understand that leaders have the power, if you will, to decide what gets to have the timing spent on it, you know, to really have Mm -hmm. the common consent process. And we decide when decisions have to be made um, expeditiously for the sake of the body. And I get that that's, that's a privilege and a responsibility. And so I want to, I want to own that and name that. And, and sometimes we get emails and that's, that's why PD, I always look at my emails because then I know, oops, that one did not go the way we expected it to. And sometimes we have to regroup. Fantastic. Well, I will. I know there are a couple of Community Christ members in the chat, so I'll, I'll pull one out, Alison, who I met at Sunstone, and um, she's just saying that she was put forth uh, as an elder months ago, and she'll be sustained on the 22nd of May this year. Um, Wonderful, she... Alison. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah, it was your choice, yeah. Alison. Enjoy that. Yeah. Awesome, Alison. And I know that um, Sarah Elizabeth is saying that she uh, she's really fallen in love with the community of Christ as well. Um, I'm not too sure if Sarah is a member of the community of Christ or not, but I do know that she posts a lot on Facebook, especially around Ukraine and uh, the different messages have come out. So, Sarah, thank you for your contribution as well. So there are a couple of images that you provided for Stacey of uh, the, I guess, common consent taking place that I want to just have a quick look at because um, when when you said to me about the uh, clickers and being able to vote, because obviously all we've got is our arm. Yep. And and you can't kind of hold it halfway or, or anything. It's yes I mean, you could no. go with like number of fingers, couldn't you? Yeah. It's, it's, we use number of fingers like in Haiti. Hey, when go. we don't okay. have clicker devices, I've done number of fingers with, yes, in Haiti. Oh, wow. Well, beautiful. Here um, in the auditorium, there's uh, the process take place. Can you talk us through maybe what's happening here in this image? Yes. So I'm looking and based on the notebook that's on this woman's lap, I think that this is actually at the USA National Conference, which was held in 2013. So these were delegates from the United States who came together to consider two proposals. One was about recommending to the First Presidency that we provide for 
um, partnerships for same gender couples. This was before marriage was legal across all of the 50 states. And so um, so the, the resolution was basically to, to um, provide for something where the law didn't allow um, for a legal partnership. Um, and then the second question had to do with uh, uh, ordination. So those clicker devices are similar to what um, students would see. So anybody that's at universities or in even like, I think, grade schools and stuff um, use these devices. They're wireless. Uh, they allow a local collection device to collect the vote of each delegate. Technology has its problems and the auditorium is not Wi-Fi friendly because of all the metal and concrete. So we actually have had some problems with these devices um, where we had to actually break the body into thirds and say, okay, you guys vote now and then you guys vote and now cool. it, put it all together. Ugh, so it was not that, it was frustrating. But anyways, so they would respond. Um, and like I said, they would first provide their level of support one to five. And then once we had that calculated, then um, we showed them the results and then we would respond to the why questions. And that's why they had their notebooks out because they were looking at the different options. It's like a multiple choice, choose which one you had. Um, the young man at the lectern was, um, he was you know, probably speaking because we had different people speaking at different times. Um, and this is showing that uh, the perspectives of who had um, a level one or two, so they had low level of support for the question that we were asking. And this is showing uh, why they had that response. And it looks like the, the number one reason was because it required force. So that's just an example. Okay. I think the young man at the lectern, sorry, I skipped um and we'll just go back to him quickly because i think this is uh, amazing as well in the auditorium you have sections and in each section a lectern is that correct correct and beforehand you can register to speak during the meeting that is correct and we run our um, conference they're multilingual so at a world conference, we typically have around 13 languages that are being shared simultaneously. So uh, if this young man were speaking in something other than English, then across the loudspeakers, you would hear the English translation. Um, unfortunately, at this point, we function primarily in English, and so our non-English speakers have headphones in, and they are hearing their native language in their ears. But when wow. they stand up to speak, they speak in their native language, and then it's translated back into English and from English into the other languages. Wow. Imagine what would happen if I was allowed up to one of those lecterns. It saved me so much trouble. Nemo, you wouldn't be a thing if those lecterns existed. <laughs> we do have time. In our standing rules, the body agrees on how much time you're going to have yeah. to speak. So uh, there are limits. <laughs> yeah, if I'd grown up in Community of Christ, my YouTube channel would be a, a non-existent thing. No. It, it wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. No, you'd get tired of like the two-minute limit. So you would still need like you know, <laughs> so that you could scare it off. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, we've got to move on we've got two more sections to yes. speak about one i think is more important than the other 
So we're going to do the the less important one first, just because I think it's important to maybe touch on it. We've already touched on it this evening, and that is uh, financial donations and management, because we have the presiding bishop with us this evening, and one of your responsibilities is that side of things. So we thought we would ask some questions that only you can kind of answer. Um, and then after that, we're going to speak about the role of sisters in the church, because that is a very uh, important part of the community of Christ and a big difference um, from where we have uh, come from. So if we speak about the financial donations, uh, how in the community of Christ do you practice the law of tithing? Yeah, so um, again, we tend to not use law language, so... <laughs> We have right. a definition of tithing, and that definition has actually been shaped through the years. So that's one of the that's one of the aspects of being a movement. Um, but in uh, 2016, the World Conference went through a common consent process to develop a definition for tithing that we were all committed to, and um, and so um, I, I want to just share because basically. We accepted Doctrine and Covenants section 165, and in there it says, tithing is a spiritual practice that demonstrates willingness to offer every dimension of one's life to God. So if we were defining tithing, that is our definition. And then the World Conference um, passed a resolve that says, as these words find expression in the church, the following affirmations guide us. Stewardship is whole life response to God's grace and the ministry of Jesus Christ. One way stewardship is expressed is through the spiritual practice of tithing. Although tithing literally means a tenth, giving generously to one's true capacity is the spirit of tithing. Tithing of time, talent, treasure, and testimony supports local and worldwide church ministries in pursuit of Jesus Christ's mission. All disciples are called to live as faithful stewards who tithe. So that's kind of our official statement. So we don't have a formula. We invite people to share generously, to model their life after God, um, to, to discover what their own capacity is to share their time, their talents and their treasures and their testimony, um, and then to share it generously. So, and the, and we have the six principles of a disciple's generous response, which kind of uphold all of these points, but also encourage us not only to share generously, but to save wisely and to spend responsibly because we impact the world the way we spend and save. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I mean, even the church, we have guidelines on where we will invest based on the resolutions of the world conference so that our investing is upholding the, you know, the principles and ideals of the church. So the members of your church know where you invest your money. Um, they don't know exactly, um, but but our asset allocation is published. So, you know, so large, you know, growth and, you know, all the different kinds of places are. Um, and the reason we don't list the particular investment managers is simply because that's changing all the time. The other thing that is published on our website is the 
our investment guidelines. So not only does it have our asset allocations, but it has the, the limits, you know, like for instance, uh, we won't invest in companies that are involved in nuclear weapons, as an example. So, um, you know, we don't invest in gambling. We don't invest in anything that might contribute to child pornography. You know, so there's just a whole list mm -hmm. of those types of things. And that's all published and available to the church. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that that was the next question. How do you report to the membership where that money goes? And I saw on the on your website, there are a plethora of videos showing uh, the reports being made these reports that are made at the conferences so we do we do a, a verbal report every world conference we sometimes do videos um although i'll be honest we did not win the click war so our the videos of the financial updates were not highly viewed so it's like well this is silly let's not make these we do produce a financial report that gets published on the website twice a year so we publish a mid-year report in june and we um, and then we publish another report in December, and that's following two of our World Church Finance Board meetings. And in those reports, they're usually you know nine to ten pages long, and we talk about everything from our investments to real estate sales to um, you know what's happening with oblation. So you know what's happened with the budget. We also publish our annual independent audit. So we have a. We have an independent audit that we go through once a year, and that is made publicly available to the church through the website. Mm -hmm. And so who does the audit? Um, we hire a company. So um, so we, we had a group of people. In fact, we just changed auditors. And mm -hmm. so... Um, so about every five years, we write a request for proposal. We solicit proposals of companies that can do it. So it's an it's an account. We go mm -hmm. to a, a you know a third party, independent, no relationship with the church um, that does that for us. Okay, wow, that seems sensible. Yeah, and we follow you know this would it's they're called gap standards, but you know it's basically the generally applied accounting practices. Mm -hmm. So the auditors test us against the gap principles um, to say how we're doing. Right. Sorry, I, you, you will notice a smirk comes across my face every time you do something that's just completely different to what I grew up with. Yeah, uh, it tickles me. Uh question that's come from from that in my mind uh speaking about a law of tithing when you were speaking about someone um deciding for themselves you know to give generously but there are other things rather than just money uh with their times and talents etc but have you heard of or do you conduct on an individual basis what's called a tithing settlement interview no have you heard of them i have heard of them yeah okay that, that's fine it was just that's what came to mind because i've yeah. sat in many of them where i'm literally given a statement of my earning well my donations and asked if that is accurate but is there a way that a, a local pastor would they sit with everyone to i guess not a statement but to say you know what are you doing in fulfilling this uh, responsibility or in, in giving generously, if you know what I mean? Or is it more of a self-reflection? It's uh, more of a self-reflection. So we, we do provide some tools and 
it, you know, through the years we've adapted different tools, but mostly it's it's a it's a step of self-reflection that we invite people into. One of the things that we've been doing in recent years is we have a cycle that's called the generosity cycle. And we encourage congregations to go through the generosity cycle, both individually, but also as a congregation. And that's about, you know, inviting um, them into the process, reflecting on the past year, um, you know, how have you responded to mission? What opportunities, you know, are you excited about? What opportunities do you did you miss? Then you invite people into considering their, you know, own financial circumstances and life circumstances and what additional time or or money they might be able to commit. Um, but that's it's not submitted. It's just a you know a personal reflection. And the congregation then also looks at their budget and what they are doing as a congregation. Um, and then it's a you know a journey together as they celebrate what they're able to accomplish as they work together. Okay. So it's back to that idea that tithing is a spiritual practice. So we've tried to be very intentional about about you know, about immersing ourselves in the spiritual practice of self-reflection. And really only we can, we can decide, you know, what our true capacity is and what adjustments we can make in our lives. And, and we, we feel like it's not something that's, I mean, sometimes you can have accountability partners. I, I know when I'm trying to lose weight, sometimes it helps to have someone who will keep me honest and say, well, if you're going to eat that brownie, how many extra minutes are you going to spend on the treadmill? You know, those kinds of questions. So I would say the same thing with finances. Sometimes it helps to have someone be your accountability partner. Do you really want to make that expenditure? You know, is that a, a good use of your money or, you know, um, you know, kind of a little Jiminy Cricket on your shoulders? But we don't we don't ask the pastors to do that because that needs to be someone that you choose that you trust. Um, that can really give you that feedback in a way that you're willing to honestly receive it. Yeah. I, I served as a bishop in the Mormon church and every year at the end of the year, it was such a hassle because but what's common is, especially here in the UK, is that there are awards with three or 400 members on the roll, but only 60 or 70 attending regularly. And many of these people you would never have heard of some of them will have actually passed on but that the records are in such disarray that you have a big congregation but only a, a very small percentage active and it was such a hassle to have to print off every report and then you become the tax man we we come from a world where tithing has become a tax and if you get behind the tax man will come kind of looking for and there are um consequences to not paying your tithing yeah so uh anyway that's yeah. we do provide receipts i mean so so usually it's going the other direction it's someone calling saying hey we didn't get you know a receipt for this contribution in this quarter you know my cfo didn't send it or whatever anyways so i'm laughing because the way the calls come is usually from the person <laughs> who's wanting their receipt because they're filing their taxes and they can't find it so because right, no. yeah tax deductible and all that yes yeah. charitable contributions yes yeah. okay no fantastic well we we are very impressed 
Um, I, I know you say you're not perfect, and I know it's not. It just seems like. Well, I'm perfect, but the church okay. is. Not, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am totally kidding. Uh, I'm totally uh, kidding. Yeah. As an accountability partner, how humble do you need to be for the next week now to pay for that one? Oh, very <laughs> humble. Very humble. <laughs> it's just like, it's like I've never had chocolate before. And so even if it's bad chocolate, it's still just like chocolate, right? It doesn't need to be perfect. It's yeah. just better than having never had it. So yeah. some accountability at a, a institutional level. Is well, and the idea of generosity, it's, it's newer for us. I mean, you know, so really in, you know, the 2000s, we've really kind of tried to move away from, like you said, the law of tithing into the mm -hmm. spirit of tithing and away from, from mandated expectations into the spirit of what does it mean to grow as a generous disciple? I mean, if we're really going to be about God's kingdom, it has to be people being transformed into the kind of disciples that God's calling them to be. And that starts with the changes that occur from within. And, and you can't mandate those from the outside has been our conclusion. That's how Christ kind of taught the spirit of the law over the letter of the law, right? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And we use law because we're we're ruled over by lawyers and yeah. There's a lot of words that look like you're saying PD, but we didn't hear any of those. Do I just repeat that? Okay, so we um we say law because we're ruled over by uh, lawyers and businessmen, so it's become part of us. Mm. But something that we've spoken about this week. Uh, in our kind of little friendship group around um, Ukraine and different things is that these laws or these principles are given to us, as you would say, Stacey, to lead us uh, to be more like Christ. But it seems that it's become just a, a chore to fulfill the law or the principle, and we've lost the journey behind it and the the true kind of reason that it was given it's just become something that you have to do so yeah 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 one of our apostles she talks about discipleship of uh, the best discipleship is pure chocolate um and so nemo talked about chocolate so i don't know easter's coming up in the states at, at easter they you, they sell chocolate easter bunnies Mm -hmm. And some chocolate Easter bunnies are solid chocolate. So if you bite into them, they're chocolate all the way through. Other Easter bunnies are hollow. So, you know, you bite into them and they mm. break and, you know, they're hollow. And so, you know, what you're, I'm hearing you say, PD, is that we're supposed to be solid chocolate disciples. When you bite into us, so to speak, we want to be chocolate all the way through. So what we're, what we're, our behaviors on the outside need to be flowing from, you know, the, the love and grace that's within us. And that's, you know, or as Paul talked about the fruits, the fruits of who we are, the fruits of the spirit. I will yeah. make one correction there though, Stacey, I would rather be hollow British chocolate than solid American chocolate. Any yeah. Day yeah. Week. I hear you. <laughs> British yeah. chocolate's pretty good. I can't deny that. Absolutely. It's the best. No, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark Johnson has just asked a quick question. All right. And I think I was just looking back at the bio. He's saying, are the community of Christ led by business people or theologians? And yes. Mark... <laughs> Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. When I read the bio at the beginning, um, your 
obviously you had your bachelor's in general engineering, but then when I read about your master's degrees in organizational management, um, a master's in arts in religion, a PhD in organization and management, your training has gone down a path that is a benefit to the church rather than um, having been trained as a lawyer, become successful as a lawyer, and then gone on to church callings as a by kind of being noticed and given a, a higher church calling. So you being at the head of the or near the head of the church as such, you're qualified to be there, if you know what I mean. It's it's not a case of you're just some successful business person who fit the bill. Yeah, I, I hope that it's a combination of both. And then you surround yourself with really, really good people. So, you know, we've got several lawyers and several accountants and, you know, they're faithful disciples as well. Um, and a lot of them also, uh, we, we send a lot of people to um, our Graceland University has our Community of Christ Seminary. And so we try to get a lot of our ministers through the Masters of Arts and Religion who are interested in doing that. So it's a combination. And, you know, especially as presiding bishop, you've got to have business skills or you yeah. would run the church into the ground. And no one wants us to do that. Yeah. But you also have to have good religious background because you also don't want to spiritually run the church into the ground. So both are equally important. Mm, yes, I think we've seen. Yeah. Okay, our final section, which I think is one of, again, uh, probably the, the two most important sections tonight were the Law of Common Consent and this one, the role of sisters in the church. Because we've already seen tonight with Alison letting us know that she is to be ordained uh, as an elder or that she's been hopefully sustained to be ordained um, as an elder. So we know that... Um, you have made the move to ordain sisters to the priesthood, but when did the church make the move to ordain sisters to the priesthood? Yeah, so um, that process began long before 1984, but it came together in 1984 when the World Conference um, accepted Doctrine and Covenants Section 156. And Section 156 made it very clear that the church was making provisions for ordaining women into the priesthood. Um, we kind of laugh, and I, I mean this in the best of terms, because Section 156 also um, encouraged the church to get about the uh, building of our temple that we built in independence. And so, um, and it's dedicated to the pursuit of peace. So the same section, which led us to build a, a large public facility dedicated to the pursuit of peace is also the section that created a lot of unrest in the church because it made provision for the ordination of women. Um, I don't think the first female was actually ordained until 1985. So I think it took a little bit of time before that actually occurred. But women have been being ordained um, alongside men ever since that time. Well, um, just as a side note, we uh, we haven't mentioned it previous uh, because I skipped over it at the beginning. But 
when you you're saying about the doctrine and covenants and these sections um as i guess ended at 138 how many sections of the doctrine and covenants um, do you currently have at the community of christ yes we currently have 165 okay and that i've read some of them and what i like about them is that if a church is to claim that it is true and living as some churches do then the living for me requires the tail to still be flapping if you know what i mean things to still be happening and and that's what is happening um the doctrine covenants is an open canon of scripture and the fact that it's not all written in king james english you can see the change um as time moves forwards in the language and i just thought that was so interesting uh, yes when I was and in reading. the in the 1990s also um president grant mcmurray brought forward the tradition that we stopped putting leadership changes in our doctrine and covenants so prior to that every time leading quorums changed those were in the doctrine and covenants but starting you know in the late 90s all of those sections have really just focused on on the you know the leadings of the spirit and guidance for the church as we seek to live mission i kind of like to think of these as like our epistles you know these are these are what's important and pertinent in a given particular time so they come out of a context but the nature of the principles in them have profound meaning that transcend time so that at any point in time you can look back and read them and they will provide their own level of blessing and guidance to you fantastic sorry i am just sorry i just had a read of um that section of dnc i just had a quick look up on my phone um and i just find it really interesting um uh 9c and 9d i believe it is it says, therefore, do not wonder that some women in the church are being called to priesthood responsibilities. This is in harmony with my will, and where these calls are made known to my servants, they may they may be processed according to administrative procedures and provisions of the law. This is very clear and direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, couldn't deny it. <laughs> no, and I like that. I like that kind of directness. I think it's good. And I guess that leads us to the next question: Why did the church move to ordain sisters to the priesthood? Well, there's probably a million reasons, you know, as to why, depending on uh, who you asked, because, you know, everyone that voted for it maybe had kind of their own reasons. Some would say that it was it was more representative of of scripture than not. Um, so, you know, that that it was that there were reasons why we had pulled away from that and, you know, and that it was time to return to that understanding. Um, but I would say that at the heart of it, the simplest answer is probably that, um, you know, that it up upheld the, the role that all are called according to their giftedness. Um, and so when you say all are called according to your giftedness, then, you know, why would, why would some genders be left out of priesthood calling? So I, you know, I, I think it was a, it was an evolving into an already kind of enduring principle of the church, but it was hard. And there were a lot of people, both women and men who, who did not 
feel like that that was what God was wanting us to do. And we're really concerned that we were, you know, living into a major heresy and, and mm-hmm. it caused a major split in the life of the church. But but for those who have hung in with community of Christ, I think um, they would all speak to the blessings that that different priesthood members have had in their life and how some of those blessings would not have occurred if women had not um, been ordained. Yeah. And I guess you've led to the next question there with regards to that split, um, that there were those who, as you say, felt that it wasn't the way to go. So was it gone, Nemo? How do you deal with the fear of that split? I I would imagine that that any leader of a worldwide organization, if if you believe the truth claims to your own organization, you want people to be part of it. You want people to be involved. So how do you, as a leader of that organization, balance the fear of people leaving over what you feel to be God's will and uh, what needs to happen for the church? Yeah, that's a great question because it applies to a lot of different topics, including tithing and everything else. If you want finances, sometimes you don't rely on people's agency or their generosity. You mandate how much they have to give. Um, So I would say that a principle that I think is important to us, although I don't know that it's articulated anywhere, is that it's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from a, a non-community of Christ book was basically, the church was the smallest it ever was the day that Jesus hung on the cross. Um, a couple of women and a beloved disciple. So there wasn't much left of the church. Um, and yet that was a monumental moment in the life of Christianity. So all we can do is faithfully listen and try to respond and redirect if we feel like we have gone astray. Um, But uh, if others don't come along, then we have to bless them on their journey and, um, and, you know, and acknowledge that we're just at a crossroads and some have to go one way and others have to go another. Okay. So change is hard and living faithfully is hard. And that's one of my questions is, when I die, I want to know how do discerning people sometimes come up with such drastically different decisions on what represents, you know, the divine's will. And I think it's probably because the divine will, again, is infinite and we are finite beings. And so it's like the blind men and the elephant. We're all grabbing on to different parts and we can't always make sense of the whole. Okay. No, that must have been difficult uh, for as you say, those leaders thinking about the the souls of, of those who knew would find it difficult. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if you talk to the, I think this is in one of our history books, but they talk about the goal. They, they thought the church was going to exceed a million uh, members worldwide. We were at about 500,000, but we were well on our way towards a million. And we came out of 1984, um, you know, shrinking down from 500,000 and, you know, and ending up closer to around the 250,000 that we have today. So, so there was significant numerical loss as a result of this decision. And not that we want to talk about any other kind of uh, sect in too much detail, but did they form another sect or multiples? Multiples. Okay. Yeah. 
as is often the case when there are schisms, you know, those who are splitting often cannot find commonality even with each other. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so there, there were multiple schisms. It makes me think to, to that old prophecy of uh, like a stone cut forth from the mountain without hands. It makes me think that sometimes what seems to be going on is actually the stone isn't rolling or gathering and growing. What's happened is actually the stones hit another rock on the mountain and split into many pieces and it's still rolling down the mountain but in lots of different parts. That seems to be a more accurate reflection of what's going on. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, I'm now jumping to one of, I think the questions where you were headed, because we talked earlier about, you know, uh, gender and, you know, whether or not, um, I, I forget exactly, you know, what we were talking about earlier. Don't you have a question that says something about gender? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are there, are there any roles within the church of a priesthood that are reliant on one's gender or are there any callings that members are precluded from on the grounds of their gender? Yeah, I thought we had talked about something like that. So I want to share a quote from you for you from section 164, verse 5 in our Doctrine and Covenants, because this is like, I, I love this particular scripture. It says, it is imperative to understand that when you are truly baptized into Christ, you become part of a new creation. By taking on the life and mind of Christ, you increasingly view yourselves and others from a changed perspective. Former ways of defining people by economic status, social class, sex, gender, or ethnicity no longer are primary. Through a gospel of Christ, a new community of tolerance, reconciliation, unity and diversity and love is being born as a visible sign of the coming reign of God. So the answer for us is when we are at our best, there is nothing you know, related to a person's gender that keeps them from responding to a call or being called to a particular um, office or position. Okay, and moving on from that then, obviously within the community of Christ then, there, there is no discrimination. I don't, I, it's, it's a harsh word, but I couldn't think of another one. There, there yeah, is there's no, not supposed to be. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no, uh, nothing to, uh, yeah, separate one from um, serving in the church due to their as you just listed their sex agenda or any anything like that but as a priesthood member in the community of christ have you had sorry have you had experiences where there have been that were different because you were a woman sorry I yeah, yeah yeah no i understand what you're asking um sure i i think i have had experiences that are different um I think my husband has had experiences that are different because he's a man though. So I want to kind of say that it can go both yeah. ways. So let me give you like a simple example. When I was in the council of 12, I obviously traveled a lot with my field. And a lot of times I would get asked by women and men, well, who are taking care of your children while you're traveling? Cause we still had, um, you know, kids at home and, I don't know for fact, but I suspect that that question got asked to me as a woman a lot more frequently than it got asked to men, because the assumption with men is, oh, mom's at home, you know, taking care of the children while you're out traveling, providing ministry. Um, now, I think a lot of times when I got asked that, I do think that they were 
I think it was out of a caring heart. So I don't mm -hmm. think there was a malicious intent, but it does kind of demonstrate that we have a lot of gender roles. And that relates to my husband. So a lot of times when I would be traveling, sometimes he would get asked by people, well, isn't it frustrating to you that Stacy travels and that you have to babysit your kids? He was like, they're my kids. I'm not <laughs> babysitting them. I am parenting them. Yeah. You know? Yes. So it just, it reminds me that there's these tapes that go off in our minds and, mm. and, um, and sometimes they can be really loud. I, I actually feel like I've been really lucky. Um, my experiences, both in my previous career, which was a very male dominated career in engineering. Um, and as a, a minister, um, I've had pretty positive experiences and pretty positive encounters, but I know I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are females who have, have had horrific experiences, you know, conferences that wouldn't approve their calling early on and, you know, situations like that simply because they were a woman. So, wow. so I, I, I feel like I've been lucky. I feel like I stand on the journey that other people made. They, they did the hard work and I have had the freedom then to walk down the path behind them. And so I am grateful to the women who have gone before me. Fantastic. And, on the i guess on babysitting have you had the experience where being a leader in the church you sit up on the stand um in, at the at the front of the meeting and your husband has to wrangle the kids in the congregation correct that's that's usually totally the other way around i used to love the that feeling of kind of being sorry i can't do anything you just have to deal with them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's we call that's... male privilege, PD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well our marriage is a very much a partnership. So, you know, we both do what we're best at. And, you know, and sometimes that's not the traditional roles. Oh, trust me. Sister PD wears the trousers in this relationship. <laughs> okay. Well, it leads us to our last question of the night. And I, th I think we've answered it. But can a sister serve as the president of the church? What do you think? I, I think you've answered it. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Why I couldn't she? If if you give me a voting button now, I will vote for Sister Stacy. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I have I have no doubt that at some point um, a sister will be called to lead as the president and prophet of Community of Christ. And I think that the church will embrace her in that calling. And I think that she will do her part as a faithful disciple of Christ. No, fantastic. Well, if you get President Basie on next week, I will put in a good word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much. Uh, Nemo, do you have anything else? I think the thing that sticks out to me the most, and I think it's the thing that we could do with taking to Salt Lake and, and putting in front of them on a very simple piece of paper, is that when you prioritize growth and numbers over people, that's when you fail. And what I'm seeing from Community of Christ is that they're doing the opposite. They're prioritizing people first and they're letting growth and numbers sit by the wayside because a, a healthy and thriving congregation is more important than a large one. And I commend you for that. I think that's, that's a wonderful prioritization. Well, thank you. And our Relationships wonderful... are important. We definitely are a relational church. Yeah, I was going to say, our wonderful guest gets the final say. Uh, is there anything you'd like to leave us with, Stacey? Well, um, yeah, I want to say that um, 
I am grateful for all people who uh, recognize the holy in the world, whether uh, through Christianity or through some other form of it, religious experience, and um, who are willing to commit their lives to making the world a better place. I think the only way that we can succeed as humanity is if we um, if we follow our beliefs into a way of working together, uh, both for people and for the creation. Um, and so uh, I think Community of Christ is wonderful. And if anyone is looking for a spiritual home to guide them in their discipleship, Community of Christ would love to embrace them. Uh, but we also want to uphold other people's spiritual journeys and partner with them as we all try to make the world a better place. Because as you noted in the beginning, with what we're seeing happening in Ukraine, we know that really bad things happen when we are not at our best as humanity. And also the latest news about um, the climate crisis. So we have a lot of complex problems in the world. Uh -huh. and we all need to be working together to, to make God's kingdom look like God intended it when God created it. Thank you. Uh, no, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for everyone coming and listening. I think looking at the chat and people's comments, everyone has taken something different from this evening's chat and something good uh we've got many messages saying uh this is magical meaning beautiful thank you so much for this insightful podcast um and many others so i think the last 90 minutes has hopefully made the world just a slightly better place even in a small way um marco says thanks stacy um thank you everyone for coming as always, please like and subscribe. Share this with anyone who you feel might be interested. Go look at the Community of Christ online and find a congregation near you if what you heard tonight made you feel special and great. Um, but from us here at Priest of Dispatches, thank you, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.